0: Continuing now, this is 2 Chronicles 33, beginning at verse 18. Very quickly, Manasseh's death. You can find the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, which is not what I just read, um, and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the annals of the kings of Israel, his prayer, and how the Lord received it, all his sin and his unfaithfulness, and the sites on which he built the high places and set the Asherah poles and the... Carved images before he humbled himself, you can find recorded in the Chronicles of the Seers. But a lot of that is probably lost because of what happened afterwards. These records that are described here aren't aren't around any longer. Manasseh rested with his fathers and he was buried in his own home. Ammon, his son, became king in his place. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, which, by the way, means that Manasseh was 45 when he became the father of of Ammon, which is uh, kind of old, right? for a, for a guy Not impossible, but no, no. That was the, that was an apocryphal substitute for the prayer. Um, that uh, that. But, uh, no, that's a really good question. That's probably why the apocryphal book got written. Yeah, where did we, where did, is, this, is this it? Yeah. So, he did pray, and the Lord did accept the prayer. We just don't know what he actually said. Yeah. So, it's, we would call that a pious fiction. You know, something like that. All right, Ammon. Ammon, 22 years old when he became king, and he ruled in as king in Israel for two years, which could be less than two calendar years because they counted a year as a part of a year. So it could be quite a bit less than two calendar years. It could be two months. If you think of our calendar, it could be if we count December and January. That, was, that could be his reign. Could, could be as short as that. But Ammon, so a very nasty guy, he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord just as his father Manasseh had done Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh, his father, had made, and he served them. But he did not humble himself before the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. Instead, Ammon even multiplied the guilt, so he was even worse. However, he was short-lived. So his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. Then the people of the land killed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. The people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Um, back in my, Lynn, should I tell the story again? The, the McDonald's story. Um, back in my McDonald's days, I was a restaurant manager for about eight years in a particular, a particularly choice spot along the interstate in south central Wisconsin where all of the interstates come together for a while. At our location, these white limousines would pull up um once a month, and guys in the the most gorgeous silk suits and Italian accents would get out and they would order you know for my uncle who's still in the car and they would and and they would they were they were they were you know they were part of the Gambino family, okay. Uh, and, uh, and, um, they, 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 but they loved us and they even knew me by name, which was, I wasn't thrilled about that detail, but, um, but, uh, but we were very good to them and, and, you know, fast food hot was, you know, our motto in those days. And we, you know, always, and, and and sometimes, uh, they would even like give us a tip and things like that. But also these are guys, not those particular guys, Except I've learned later that maybe those particular guys. But um, when you put a hit out on somebody in the mob world, um, what's the first thing you do to clean your hands of it? You kill the hitmen, which is what happens in this verse. So these guys killed the king, and then everybody else killed them, and now and now everything's good. We're rid of the king and rid of the hitmen, and now we're. Now we can go on with life, so it's pretty, pretty typical. I don't mean to be teaching you young men you know, how to do things later on in your life, but that's what they were doing. Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled as king in Jerusalem for 31 years. So again, another king who didn't live past 30. This one didn't even see 40 but uh, ruled a long time, nevertheless. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Remember I referenced the narrow Lutheran middle or the lonely way? Not to the right or to the left. That lonely way. In the eighth year of his reign. So how old is he? 16, which is maybe about the time that you'd start letting a new king handle the money. You know, you, you, you kind of, uh, uh, he's got advisors before then or a queen mother or whatever, a regent, but now he's 16, he can begin to do some of these things, but especially when he's 20. In the eighth year of his reign, when he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In the 12th year, so he's now 20, He began to purify Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. What's the difference between a carved image and a cast image? Yeah, um, uh, carved could be wood or stone, and cast would be metal of some kind. Right. And I love this in verse 4. In his presence they tore down the altars of the Baals, So he went there in person. I can imagine him with like his arms folded. Like, come on, get on with it. They tore down the altars of the Baals. And so the king went out personally and made sure that they did all this stuff. He was serious about, let's end this. He's also serious enough that he wants to end it in such a way that it can't be restored after he's gone. So he chopped down the sun pillars which stood above them. We're going to hear about sun pillars twice here. What When have we heard about sun pillars before this? We haven't. So where did they come from? Well, I think it was dad, Manasseh, or grandpa, Manasseh, who was worshiping the starry host and everything, that he uh, he was making somehow pillars to the sun. Remember one of the seven planets? So, yeah. He broke the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images into pieces and ground them to dust, which he scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them, desecrating the graves. He burned the bones of their priests on their altars. What does that do? It desecrates the altars. He can't use them anymore. In this way, he purified Judah and Jerusalem. He was dead serious. This idol worship ends. These... Everything that you see here is not going to be used ever again. That's what what Josiah was all about. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, so north of Judah, Simeon, south of Judah, and as far as Naphtali, way up by the Sea of Galilee, as well as in the ruins around them, remember the Assyrians had carted everybody off, He tore down the altars, the Asherah poles, and the images. He ground them into powder. He cut to pieces all the sun pillars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So he has a campaign against false doctrine, against false worship. He goes out with and probably an army of Levites and wrecks everything that is not worship to the true God. In other words, everything that's not the true temple. In the 18th year of his rule, he's now, what, 26? Does that sound right? In order to purify the land and the house, and I think that's about when this campaign probably ended, up you know, north and south and everything. In order to purify the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Maasaiah, the administrator of the city, and Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They went to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the silver that had been brought into the house of God which the Levites the keepers of the threshold or the doorkeepers had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim from all of the remnant of Israel and from all of Judah Benjamin and the residents of Jerusalem. They gave it to those doing the work to the ones who were organizing uh, who were organized rather to work in the house of the Lord. They had to buy the new materials to Marble and whatever with something. Those who were doing the work of the house of the Lord used it to repair and restore the building. They gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stones and timbers for joists and beams for the buildings which the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. Um, Not everybody knows. Who can tell me the difference between a beam and a joist? Joists are especially the boards and they're often, um, instead of this way, they're nailed in this way for extra strength. That's your floorboards. okay? And then beams would have held them together and probably been the, the whole uh, framework of the house. And whether these Hebrew words actually mean beams and joists, but the, the, the important structural wood is how I would probably put it um, in this case for the buildings which the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. So uh, things go to ruin quickly in Judah, don't they seem to? Although my, I talked to my mother-in-law two nights ago, and she commented that her brother lives in a house that was built in 1730. That house has got structural problems. You know, I mean, it's bound to have structural problems. She also said that it's a nightmare for the electrical system. I mean, how much wire did they run in 1730? You know, none at all. And, and plumbing was a different universe in those days because uh, you're guaranteed that if it had pipes, they could only have been made from lead. And, you know, you just, and, and, uh, I just can't imagine. But uh, anyway... The men were doing the work faithfully. The supervisors appointed to oversee the work were Jahath and Obadiah, who were Levites descended from Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam, who were Levites descended from Kohath. These Levites were all skillful with musical instruments. Do you sense a difference in the tone of the chapter? I mean, even my voice can't help but carry it along. It's exciting you got Levites from the right families, and you got musicians, and things are getting right again. Things are coming along the way that they were supposed to be. In, um, in, uh, in Amos 9, there's a beautiful verse. I've I, I preached on it sometimes for Christmas. And uh, in that, I will repair David's fallen tent and build it as it used to be. You know, just that thought of, of the way it was. They were in charge of the people transporting material who were overseers for all those doing the different kinds of work. Some of the Levites also served as scribes, officials, and gatekeepers. When they brought out the silver that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been received from the hand of Moses. Remember I said under Manasseh, this is grandpa. They've got some of the sacrifices are are missing as if they weren't reading. Yeah, guess what, why they weren't reading? It was lost. Some commentators look at verse 14 here and they think that this is probably the book of Deuteronomy. Other commentators get freaked out by this because they think They're they're textual critics, and they think that Deuteronomy wouldn't be written for another 250, 300 years, which is wrong. Deuteronomy was written before 1406 B.C. In fact, it was written in 1406 B.C. Moses preached those three sermons that Deuteronomy really is and wrote them down right before he died. That's how long ago this was. But many critics dispute the dates of when things were written in the Old Testament really because of a colossal waste of time that happened in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Um, a couple of guys began to have theories about oh, maybe maybe Moses didn't write the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Maybe they were written by a lot of different sources much, much later, and, and so forth. And for a hundred years, some of the finest scholarship in, in Christianity was wasted on that dumb theory. I mean, that think of what could have been accomplished by, by scholars at a time when there was printing and when books were being written and, and people were interested in Christianity. and instead you have this nonsense. Uh, for, for, for lifetimes, people wasted their lifetimes on this ridiculous theory. Um, but the point is that it, this, this could be just the book of Deuteronomy that they found. And to, to come back to, the, to this sentence I haven't finished yet, um, or it could be the entire Pentateuch, all of Moses from Genesis to Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, I am of the opinion that it was the whole thing, the whole Big Mac, to coin a phrase. Um, uh, and for one thing, because some of the things that are said later go beyond Leviticus. I mean, go beyond Deuteronomy. They get into Numbers and Leviticus and maybe Genesis. And, and you know, and, uh, well, let's just, just, just keep reading and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll comment as we go. So Hilkiah responded by telling Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. That is the Torah. That's what the book of the law is in Hebrew. The, the safer Torah. Hilkiah then gave the scroll to Shaphan. And that, that could be more than one scroll. That usually like Genesis for reading in public worship would be about this big around. But that's in large print. The whole Torah could fit in smaller print on a scroll that was even smaller. I mean, think of how big Genesis to Deuteronomy would be. It's a little bit smaller than the New Testament. Right? So, you know, reasonable-sized document. Shaphan brought the scroll to the king. He also brought this report to the king. Your servants are doing everything they were assigned to do. They have emptied the silver from the house of the Lord, from the chest, and have delivered it to the overseers and to the workmen, so uh, first a report. Shaphan the secretary then told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. I don't know how long that took. I do know that if you were to read, say, all of Genesis, 50 chapters, you, you read it at a pace, a reasonable pace, with drinks of water and time for a bathroom break and things like that. It would take uh, about four chapters in an hour to read, and therefore about 12 hours to read all of Genesis in one sitting. A book like Leviticus would take only about three hours, much, much shorter and shorter chapters. At any rate, he read in the presence of... See, he could have read any amount of, of this gigantic scroll. He could have read... Most of Genesis, just up to the flood, you know, or or he could have read the beginning of Exodus up to the giving of the Ten Commandments, could have read Leviticus and the unclean animals chapter, which would have terrified them, and, you know, whatever it was he read. um, When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothing. Tearing the clothing is always a sign of what? Humbling, grief, sadness. I'm in the presence of sin, whatever it is, that's tearing the clothing. The king gave this command to Hilkiah and to Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah, uh, servant of the king. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for those who remain in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that's being poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord by doing everything that is written in this book. We're not even told what the wrath was. I mean, seems like they were kind of prospering, but Josiah says, we're in trouble. Hilkiah and the men the king sent with him went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hazra, the keeper of the vestments. So, a Levite, why would they go to a prophetess and not a prophet? What had grandpa done? Killed the prophets. I kind of think there weren't any prophets left to go to. So they go to Huldah. Um, she was living in Jerusalem in the second district. They spoke to her concerning this matter. Second district, by the way, I think would be just south of the temple. City of David, first district, second district, just north of that. So right in there, she had been right, right there, you know, close by. So the, let's go down to Huldah. She told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me... (laughs) Who's the man? King Josiah. Yeah, but Tell the man who sent you to me that this is what the Lord says. Look, I am bringing disaster on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses written in the book, which they read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, provoking me to anger with all the work of their hands, my anger will be poured out on this place, it will not be quenched. To the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, you will also say this, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken the words which you have heard. But because your heart, you're singular, by the way, you, Josiah, because your heart was receptive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and because you have humbled yourself before me, have ripped, excuse me, ripped your clothing and have wept before me. I also have heard you declares the Lord. The phrasing of Huldah's statement makes me wonder a little bit if we get this record of what Josiah did and then finding the book and then other did some of these things overlap a little bit i i I'm not sure. I mean, we think of history as being A B C, right? They didn't always do that. And for example, in a gospel like Matthew, you have the ministry of Jesus, but kind of uh, placed in groups of events, like this is the parable section, this is the teaching section, this is the miracle section, this is the big parable section, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and so forth. And did, did they do that sometimes with some of the histories of these kings, especially a place like this? I'm not exactly sure. Um, It wouldn't do anything to the truth of what we have. But it might explain a little bit about what she says and why she says it and when she says it. So that, that Josiah was going out and tearing down everything. Was some of that kind of after she talked to him? You know, but he had humbled himself but hadn't done enough. and So he goes out on his campaign and so forth. I'm not sure. I'm just putting that out there. So, I have also heard you, declares the Lord, just a couple more verses. Listen to my response. I will gather you to your fathers. You will be gathered to your grave in peace. Well, relative peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. They brought back this message to the king. So, anybody remember how Josiah dies? We're going to see it next week, actually. But Pharaoh Necho uh, actually he tries to stop Pharaoh Nico, excellent that's outstanding Nico was going up to fight in the Battle of Carchemish and they, the, uh, Josiah was told not to go but he went anyway and got shot and uh, so whoops the king then summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah with the inhabitants of Jerusalem the priests the Levites and all the people from the least to the greatest in their hearing, he read all the words of the book of the covenant. This is now the safer berit, not the safer Torah. So the difference, the the book of the covenant, could be one of the books of the Old Testament, not necessarily the whole thing. And because of the mix up of the sacrifices and the duties of the priests, I'm kind of thinking which of the books of the of the Pentateuch would especially deal with the temple worship. Add the Levites. Leviticus, Leviticus. yeah. I I think Leviticus. Um, So in their hearing, he read all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood in his place by the pillar. This is one of the two pillars, I think, by the front of the temple. Boaz and Jachin. So, uh, and made a covenant before the Lord to walk in the way of the Lord and keep his commandments, his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to uphold the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all those who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin stand up and do the same thing. The inhabitants of Jerusalem acted according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the abominations from all the lands that belonged to the people of Israel. He influenced, remember Manasseh commanded, Josiah influenced everyone in Israel to serve the Lord their God. I think partly by example and by his encouraging words. Come on, guys, let's do this. Throughout all his days, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their fathers. That's a marvelous, marvelous conclusion to this. To this. It is the conclusion of the chapter. So uh, we have a, a really good chapter here. But uh, as I said at the beginning of class, this is our last, our next week is our last week in Chronicles. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.